0: 2 Peter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.
1: Bicycles come in all shapes and sizes Uh, but there is one thing that is common uh, to all bicycles and that is the principle that if you stop you drop. You have to go on with a bicycle otherwise you'll come off. Um, You have to move forward with a bicycle otherwise you'll fall off but if you stop you drop. Now I'd love to start by telling you about... Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I'd love to tell you about the, um, the different attitude to bicycles that my different children have. Uh, my littlest one is Theo. Uh, he's age one, and... Um, his problem with bicycles is head knowledge. He thinks that if you just sit on a bicycle, he, he would love to just go careering along on a bicycle, but his problem's head knowledge. If he, thinks, he thinks if you just sit on a bicycle, it will go forward. He hasn't quite understood the sort of pedal concept. So his problem's with the head. Uh, our oldest uh, child, Daisy, she's now 11. She can ride a bike fine, of course, now. But back when she was sort of four or five, her problem was not with the head. She understood how a bicycle worked, uh, but her problem was with the heart. Uh, she actually didn't much... Fancy bicycling. She thought, "Here's her dad's bike. It's got a perfectly good seat on the back. She can just sit in that and just admire the view. No need to put in any effort at all. She can just sit there, admire the view. No bother pedaling. But that all changed when Boaz, who's our second child, he's now ten. But when he was about four or five, uh, he was chaos learning, teaching him uh, to bicycle. I remember uh, loads of times on ones with common, and he'd be on his bicycle and uh, he'd be careering along, and we put a little backpack on him which had one of those sort of dog leads attached to it, you know the ones. And I'd run along next to him holding the dog lead, and basically when he was about to crash, um, the bicycle would go careering off the path, and I'd just sort of yank him up, and he'd be hanging there like this sort of puppet, um, not um, hurting himself. But as soon as Daisy saw that, that actually uh, Boaz was beginning to learn to ride a bike better than her, well then her heart changed. Sibling rivalry, uh, suddenly her heart was in it, she wanted to ride a bike, and she rode it pretty quick. Hope uh, is the final child. She's now three, and her problem is not with the head. She understands how a bicycle works. Uh, it's not with the heart. She wants to ride her bicycle. Her problem is with the will. Her problem is with the will. We picked up her bike. This is her bike here. Uh, we picked it up on the road, on the pavement, actually. I, I hope it wasn't anybody's, but it seemed to be nobody's. Um, but it's not a great bike, and it's quite stiff. The uh, chain's pretty stiff. Um, it uh, needs oiling. I haven't bothered doing that, and. Poor Hope, she wants to ride it, but it's quite, she has to push really hard to get the pedals to go round, And especially when she's on the grass and it's quite tricky, she just cannot push the pedals round. Her muscles aren't big enough. Her problem is with the will. And if she eventually just stops, and if it wasn't for the stabilizers, she'd fall off. Now, why do I tell you all that? I tell you that because I think that the Christian life is quite like riding a bicycle. The Christian life is quite like riding a bicycle. The challenge for each one of us this evening is that if we are not moving forward in our faith, if we are not growing as a Christian, if we're not moving forward, we're in danger of falling off. We must go on as a Christian or we'll come off. If we stop, we drop. And so first of all this evening, I'd love to say this. I'd love to say start your faith in Jesus. Start your faith in Jesus. Get on the bike. Get moving. Put your faith, verse one, put your faith in our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, tonight, there will be some people here who are not yet Christians. There will be some people here, you're not yet a Christian, and I want to say it is wonderful to have you with us this evening. Thank you so much, whether it's your very first time in church this evening, uh, whether you've been coming for a while, investigating the Christian faith, thank you for being here. And Simon Peter, who, who wrote this little letter uh, of to Peter that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks here at HTC. Uh, Simon Peter, he was one of the first 12 disciples. And uh, indeed, he was one of Jesus' inner core of three. Uh, and Simon Peter spent every day for three years with Jesus. Watching Jesus. Listening to Jesus. Speaking with Jesus. Learning from Jesus. Sometimes making mistakes with Jesus. Sometimes denying Jesus before the cock crowed but serving Jesus and then being sent out by Jesus. You'll see how uh, Peter describes himself right at the start of the letter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. Apostle means a sent out one, a servant and a sent out one of Jesus Christ. And now, as Peter writes this letter of his, Peter is nearing the very end of his life. Later on in the letter, he writes uh, that he is writing this letter because he was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And he's saying to these first readers that were the first people that were reading the letter, and to us, the most recent readers of this letter, he is saying to us, he is writing this letter to tell us why you and I should have faith in Jesus. And here's something I think that it's worth saying to anyone here this evening who is looking in on faith in Jesus. If that is you, please remember this. Some people think that faith is something that's sort of beamed down just on some people. You know, I've had people come up to me and go, I wish I had your faith, I'm just not the faith type of person. Or other people just think that faith is some sort of irrational uh, leap, and it's a rational leap in the dark, an irrational leap contrary to the evidence. But that is so, so far from the truth. Actually, faith is something that is all about evidence. Starting your faith in Jesus is actually very similar to starting riding a bike. It involves your head, it involves your heart, and it involves your will. Up on the screen is going to come a quote from a famous theologian about 100 years ago. And he said this, He said, faith affects the whole of a person's nature. It commences with the conviction of the mind based on adequate evidence. It continues in the confidence of the heart or emotions based on conviction. And it is crowned in the consent of the will by means of which the conviction and confidence are expressed in conduct. Now what's he saying there? He's saying, in other words, faith starts in the mind. It starts as you or I as we look at the evidence for Jesus Christ. Did Jesus really claim to be God? And if he did claim to be God, does actually the evidence stack up that he is God? It is about you and I using our minds and looking at the evidence for Jesus. And once it, it starts in the mind, but then it goes on to the heart. Because if I am convinced that Jesus Christ is God, if I'm convinced that he died for me, that he loves me, that he forgives me all my sins, that he promises me an eternity with him, then that is pretty incredible. And that touches my heart. It moves me. It touches my emotions. I'm seriously grateful to Jesus for all that Jesus has done for me. My heart is moved. And so that moves from my mind to my heart to my will. I want now to choose to be in relationship with Jesus. I want to choose. The Bible talks about repenting and believing. I want to choose to turn from living my life independent of Jesus and turn to faith in Jesus. I want to please Jesus. As in that quote, it affects my conduct. I'm grateful to him and so I'm wanting to live as he would want me to live. Head, I can see that the bicycle works. I've looked at the evidence, it works. Heart, I want to ride that bike. Will, I choose to get on it. And I start pushing those pedals down. And so this evening, if you are someone here who might just possibly want to get on the bike of the Christian faith, If you might just possibly want to start peddling it, checking it out, I would love, very simply, just encourage you this evening, maybe at the end of the service, just to come and chat with me. And I'd love to give you this uh, little booklet, a little booklet that just begin to engage your head and your heart and your mind in this manner. So first, start your faith in Jesus. Second thing, value your faith in Jesus. Value it. I love the, um, uh, Peter's use, use of this wonderful little phrase. Just if you look at the end of verse 1, he talks about this. He says, a faith as precious as ours. A faith as precious as ours. And you see, here is the reality. The value of something is not affected by how much you or I think it is worth. I don't know if you saw last week in the media, uh, about um, there was this little uh, Chinese antique bowl that was sold at Sotheby's for 28 million pounds. 28 million pounds for that little bowl. And a lot was made in the press about how there was at Ikea, there was a very similar looking bowl that was on sale for £1.50, there it is. Now, it wouldn't change... The value of the precious Chinese bowl, if I didn't think it was worth 28 million, it would still be worth it. If I treated that bowl like I treat an IKEA bowl, or if I swapped it for an IKEA bowl, because actually I think an IKEA bowl can fit more cocoa pops in my it can fit more cocoa pops when I'm having my cereal in the morning, it wouldn't change the value of the Chinese bowl. It remains 28 million pounds worth of value. The value of something is not affected by how much we think it is worth. And so the question is, why is faith in Jesus so precious? Why is faith in Jesus so valuable? And the answer is, it is so precious, it is so valuable, because it makes a difference to your life and to my life. It makes a difference now in this life, and it makes a difference into eternity. Just have a look, with you, at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Uh, Peter writes this. He says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And I find that quite staggering. He can, he can be so bold that God's power gives us everything, everything that we need for a godly life. Can we believe that? He gives us everything. And the question is, how can we access this everything that we need to live a godly life, to live a life that pleases Jesus? What do we need to do? Do we need to sort of follow seven steps to victorious living? Do we need to go to this amazing church and receive some impartation? What do we need to do? Now Peter says there's no special technique. There's no chasing after the the latest fad in Christian discipleship. Look at what he says. Verse 3, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. How? Through our knowledge of him who called us. You know, for you or I, the deepest, the most profound thing that we can say about God, the most profound thing of all that we can say is, I know him i know god there is nothing that is more profound than that i know him not i know about him like i know about david beckham but i know him i know him like i know a friend in fact i know him actually it's amazing this i know him like peter knew jesus That's how much I can know God, just as much as Peter knew Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. He says, you've received a faith as precious as ours. Our faith is as precious as the faith of the one who spent every day for three years with God, walking with him, listening to him. Our faith, your faith, is as precious as Peter's faith in Jesus. So you see, why is our faith so precious? Why value it? Because it makes a difference in our lives now. It gives us everything that we need to live a godly life. But actually, even more significantly than that, you and I, we value our faith not just because of the difference it makes now, but actually because of the difference it makes in our lives in eternity. You see, in verse 4, if you look at verse 4, Peter begins to speak about these precious promises. These precious promises. And some of these promises are for now. But actually, more of them are for what will come in the future, in eternity, when all those who are in Jesus will be free from a world that is out of kilter with its creator. We will be free from a world where other people's evil desires and our own evil desires, as it talks about in verse 4, this world, they're all still too present. But not in eternity with Jesus. So can I encourage each one of us, start your faith in Jesus. Value your faith in Jesus for the difference that it makes now and into eternity. And then thirdly, Grow your faith in Jesus. Grow your faith in Jesus. Here I think is the problem. I think this is the problem for probably a good number of us this evening. The problem is this. We have stopped moving forwards in our faith. We've stopped, just like me on the bike, we've stopped moving forwards in our faith. And rather like this woman that's going to come up uh, because of Boris, um, she's stopped moving forwards in her body, and she is in danger of falling off. So we, we've stopped moving forwards in our faith, and we're in danger of falling off. And I want to be really honest with you this evening. I am including myself in this. As I was preparing this sermon, I had to ask myself, Jago, have you grown as a Christian in 2017? Have I become more Christ-like this year? And the honest answer is I'm not sure I have. I'm not sure I have. I feel like I have flatlined in my faith this year. Too often just coasting. And as we know, with a bicycle, you can coast on a bicycle for a bit without putting the pedals, pushing the pedals. But as soon as you go uphill, you need to start pedaling. And my hunch is that actually amongst us this evening, probably a good number of us, actually you'd relate to that. You say, I haven't been growing as a Christian. And actually, probably it's those of us perhaps who've been a Christian for longer. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home and actually you are feeling like you have flatlined in your faith. You're not growing, you're not moving forwards. And you know, Peter's message to me and to you, if you're like that, Peter's message is a big warning. He's saying we're in danger. He's saying if you're not moving forwards, you may fall. When our youngest child, Theo, uh, when he was born, uh, he was on the 50th percentile for weight, so he was totally average. And uh, after a couple of months, he, he wasn't growing. In fact, he'd actually lost a bit of weight. And uh, he had uh, gone down from being at the 50th percentile for his age in weight to the 0.1 percentile. Now, what do we do about that? Do we go, well, it's not that big a deal. It's not growing. No, you know, I'm sure it'll be all right. Of course we didn't. We took him to hospital. He had tests and soon got it all sorted. And actually he grew and grew. And by his first birthday, he was an absolute huge mama. He was, he was on the 75th percentile. He was absolutely fine. You see, we take it seriously when a child doesn't grow. But my fear is we do not take it seriously when we are not growing as a Christian. And that is dangerous because it is serious. You see, because our faith is so valuable... Because, verse 3, God has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Because, verse 4, God has given us his very great and precious promises. It doesn't mean that we can just sort of sit back, just chill out, just expect us just to sort of osmosisly sort of grow and mature as a Christian. No, we need to take it seriously. Just look at the next few verses and what Peter says. Look at the start of verse 5. He says, start of verse 5, the beginning of the paragraph, he says, for this very reason, because of what we just looked at, Make every effort. He says, make every effort. Look down to verse 10. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. He repeats the same phrase. Make every effort. You see, all these qualities in verses 6 and 7 of goodness, of knowledge, of self-control, of perseverance, of godliness, of mutual affection and love, they're to be growing in us and we've got to make an effort for them to be growing. You know, maybe for some of us, we are growing in our career. Maybe we're growing in our, our bank balance, growing in our influence, growing on the property ladder, growing even in our, in our works of Christian ministry. Maybe we're growing in all these different things, but actually we're not growing in terms of our personal Christian growth. That's flatlined. You see, for me, I'm growing a family. I'm growing a church. I'm growing in responsibility. I'm growing in influence. I'm growing as a leader, I guess. But actually, in the thing that matters most, growing where it matters most, in me being more Christ-like, more good, more self-control, more loving, more godly, actually, I'm not growing there. And Peter says, I need to take that seriously. Look at verse 8. Verse eight, he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective and unfruitful. And I fear at the moment that is me. You know, our vision, as you all know only too well, our vision as a church is to see every life bearing fruit for Jesus. And even while we may be working for fruit to be born in other people's lives, we need to be careful that we are not unfruitful Christians. In verse 9, Peter changes the metaphor. It's equally serious. He says if we're not growing as a Christian, he says we are blind and we're short-sighted. Striking words, he says if we're not growing as a Christian, we're blind, we're short-sighted. He talks about us forgetting. We're forgetting the value of our faith in Jesus. He says we're blind to the wonder of the past. If you look at verse 9, we're blind to the wonder of the past that we have been cleansed from our past sins because of Jesus' death. He says we're blind to it. And we're blind, not just to the wonder of the past, but we're blind to the wonder of the future. Verse 11, the the, the rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're blind to it. And the reason we're blind to the past and we're blind to the future is because we're just focused on the present. You see, the first recipients of this letter, they were Christians. They were being tempted by all sorts of other influences. But chiefly, as you read the whole letter, it's by people who were encouraging them just to look to be satisfied in the present. Just to be pleasure-seeking in this world now, not living in the light of eternity. And let's be honest, for many of us in Clapham, in London, that is a real danger for us. Comfort and pleasure right now, in the present... Whether that comes in the form of the property we live in, the leisure pursuits we engage in, the relationships we desire, chasing after sex, drugs and drink, or just looking for some sort of comfortable, stress-free existence. Whatever it may be, my danger and probably your danger is our focus narrows in just on the joys of the present. Now, they're not necessarily wrong. But the problem is, we're so focused on them, the present, that we are blind to the past, what Jesus has amazingly done for us in love. And we are blind to the future, where we are heading for eternity. All around Clapham, lots of traffic lights, lots of cyclists. And you'll have seen it cyclists when there's a, a red traffic light. Some of them just hoon straight through and uh, off they go, not bother about the traffic light at all. But a lot of them stop at the traffic light, but they try and not put their feet down. You'll have seen it sort of jiggling on the pedals, you know, sort of twisting the handlebars, trying to, trying to balance before all the time, while they're having to be stationary until the light goes green again. The problem is you can't do that for long. You cannot just stay stationary. For long. At the lights, their minds know how to cycle still. Of course they do. At their hearts certainly want to cycle. They just want to get to where they're going as fast as possible. But it's the will that's the problem. They're not actually able to pedal those pedals round. My fear is that many of us are the same. We believe in Jesus Christ intellectually, In our minds, our hearts have been warmed by Jesus, changed by Him, certainly in the past. But our wills right now are choosing to grow other things, choosing to focus on other things than our own Christ likeness. We're not, as Peter says, making every effort. We're not pedalling forwards as a Christian. No, we're stationary. We're, We're wiggling our handlebars. We're wobbling precariously. We're in danger of falling. And the problem is, as we flatline on our will, so it goes back up to our heart. And our hearts begin to get cold towards Jesus. And we forget the value, the preciousness of our faith. And we can even find ourselves falling off the bike altogether and stopping being connected to Jesus. And so I'd love to close with verse 10. Verse 10 says this. It's what Peter says to us. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election that's your calling to your christ that's your you're being a christian he says make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things and these things that's the the growing and goodness and self-control and knowledge and love and all the other things if you do these things you will never fall